A reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The word of the Lord. I recently read someone who said that the primary challenge of the first half of life is keeping the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. But then he went on to say the primary challenge of the second half of life is keeping the sixth commandment. The sixth commandment is do not murder. So once we are no longer struggling to be under our parents' authority, we're out there on our own. Uh, The world is a wonderful place, but the world doesn't cooperate with us as we would like. And so it makes us angry. And with our anger, sometimes our anger gets the best of us. We've been going through Ephesians and we're slowing down in the section that we're in and I'm looking today just at verses 26 and 27 about anger. And the context for this, if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, is that uh, in this book, consistent with the rest of the New Testament, we're told that there's a whole new way of life that we're invited into. Becoming a Christian isn't just about uh, taking on religious practices or uh, a few tweaking in your morality, uh, but it's actually about entering into life with Christ that has, brings spiritual renewal, but, but your whole system of who you are, your identity, how you function, how you think, what choices you make, is meant to be renewed in a way that all of the parts of you interact in different ways. And so therefore, all of us are going to need to figure out how to deal with our anger. If you're here and you're not a Christian and trying to think of, well, what could Christianity teach me about anger? Uh, Today is a good day to be here. But for those of you who are Christian and you're trying to think of what role does anger play in my life? Because anger will be present. Being Christian is not an escape uh, to a perfect and pleasant life where everything goes well, but we're still here, uh, our imperfect selves in this world. And so Dealing with anger is something that we'll have to deal with. And so it's really hard, but it's really important. And so it's not a surprise that the book of Ephesians calling us to a new way of life tells us that we should be angry, but that we should not sin and that we should not let the sun go down on our anger. That's verse 26. And that's sort of the three things I'm going to walk us through. Be angry, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. So beginning with that first phrase, be angry. So it's not a commandment. This is not telling you what you should do. This is not advice. You're not angry enough. You need to be more angry. Most of us probably know that. 
What's actually really helpful is the permission it gives to recognize anger is a reality. Um, and so if you are aiming to be a moral person, you need to deal with your anger. But actually, if you're a moral person, you're going to need to face the reality of anger because this world does unethical, unjust things. And so being angry is, is a way that we will have to exist at times. And then the question is, what do you do with it? What I think is particularly important as a starting place, because anger is so inherently dangerous, many of us are wise to want nothing to do with it. And it could be our temperaments, maybe you're maybe more of a mild-mannered person, so anger just signals something's wrong and it's overwhelming and so you avoid anger. Uh, but maybe ethically, you just know that with your anger, you're, you're tempted to do things you shouldn't do. And therefore, most of us have a sense in which anger can be a bit dangerous. The way that can work itself out in a religious community or something like a church is then we feel that anger is so inherently problematic that we we can't face it, we avoid it, we set it aside, and we don't recognize that anger actually plays an ordinary function in our lives. Anger signals that something's wrong. It's an indicator. Anger is indicating that there's something wrong, and then anger is giving you energy to move forward and act on it. That itself is not a problem. It could be a problem. So much of our anger, one of the reasons that many of us are so skeptical about anger is because we know that our anger has problematic roots. So if you're somebody that grapples with envy, for example, so you just know that you're, you're always seeing what other people have and it bothers you that people have things that are good and, and whatever the complexity of why that's happening, uh, somebody that you know has a career advancement where the should is I should be happy for them, but the reality is you're envious and you're angry about it. So that's one of those examples to know this anger is problematic. The problem is not the anger. The problem is the envy. The anger is indicating to you something, something's wrong and the question is what is wrong? Is it wrong that this person who worked hard got a promotion? No, that's not what's wrong. If I'm angry about that, maybe something else is going on. It's that level of caution that makes us uncomfortable with anger because so much of our own anger is self-serving, is shallow. But if you're the one who had the promotion and then somebody who's envious of you decides to go on social media to slander you in order to, uh, uh, to maybe uh, ruin your life, then you're angry because something's wrong. But, but the, the anger is, uh, is justified, it's right. It, that's a normal response. Hey, here I am just trying to do my own thing. Uh, I accomplish something and somebody is trying to undermine it. My being angry is not itself sinful. So it says be angry, but don't sin. The question is, what will you do once you're angry? Uh, but it's important to actually have that awareness that anger is part of life. Anger can play an important role in your life to motivate you, to energize you, to do something that needs to be done. And so it's just important to make sure that we um, have that sense as we move into the concerns of how anger could go wrong. A couple of months ago, I was reading a book by a ministry leader who was sharing about a number of things, but in it, one thing that stood out was, um, he was not, uh, it was not a book on anger or teaching on anger, but he shared something that I sort of made note of. So I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs just about his own experience. And uh, this was a guy that if you'd have asked him, is he an angry guy? He would have said, absolutely not. I'm a nice guy. And then here's what he says. He says, uh, going, starting with his past, he says, my dad had a quick temper when I was growing up. I didn't like being yelled at. 
So I decided I wasn't going to be angry. It wasn't a conscious decision. It was just the way I processed my childhood. So that's kind of his background. Later in life, when I got upset with my wife, I would never say anything or yell at her or demean her or belittle her. So far, so good. I just became silent. She often said to me, are you angry with me? I said, no, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed or I'm just upset. I had more euphemisms for anger than anyone I knew because I couldn't admit my anger. But this is the key. I hadn't overcome anger by denying its existence. I just channeled my anger in a different direction. Rather than yelling, I walled up and became silent. I gave my wife the silent treatment and she knew I was angry and she felt the effects of my anger, but I couldn't overcome anger until I admitted it. So much here is commendable of somebody who's trying to make sure that their anger is not fueling them to do problematic things. But you could see how delicate the whole topic is, that even in his efforts, he realized uh, if anger is indicating a problem, maybe he wasn't facing the problem. And he was putting the anger someplace where it was still maybe uh, having an influence or role in his life, he was not fixing the problem. And so one of the things we need to be careful as Christians is we're called to courage, we're called to truth, we're called to risk, which means that we're meant to face our problems. Anger can motivate you sometimes to face your problems. Anger is not the only thing that should motivate you. But in general, if you are more desirous of avoiding the problem, and avoiding the anger, what will happen is anger will have a negative influence in your life. It just won't be the explicit kind. Your anger with others that could destroy relationships may become an anger that's making you um, despair about yourself. So we don't want to internalize our anger because we're avoiding what the issue is. So, so we're beginning not with an encouragement to be angry, but with the assumption we need to be honest to recognize being angry is part of life. So be angry. But secondly, don't sin. Um, so what you do with your anger, why you're angry matters, but what you do once you're angry perhaps matters even more. And so if you're angry because you're envious, uh, there's a lot that could go wrong. If you're angry because somebody else who is envious did something wrong to you, you still have to be very careful uh, how you'll respond. We're naturally self-centered. Mel Brooks, who... Uh, wrote these comedy, uh, comedic films, High Anxiety and uh, Blazing Saddles. Just because I'm naming the movies doesn't mean go and watch them. Uh, but Mel Brooks is a comedy writer. Uh, I remember hearing years ago, talking about the, the, the genre difference between comedy and tragedy. He said, tragedy is when I cut my finger. Comedy is when you fall into an open sewer and die. And there is something odd about, you know, you think of the slapstick tradition where it's hysterical to see other people get hurt, but the slightest thing happens to us and we're overwhelmed by the grief of it. Uh, this is one of the reasons we lose that sense of proportion. Um, we lose our assessment of what's really happening and how we should respond. Anger does a number of things. It helps you focus and it energizes you. And when there's a problem, you need that. You need to see this is a problem and I need to move towards it. But focus and energy 
have to happen within a broader life. And this is why we're talking about it in the context of a life where we're told not only do you need to be angry at times, but you need to be patient at times. And you need to be forgiving and you need to be generous. And there's a whole picture of the character that we're supposed to take on so that when we're angry, um, we don't become so focused on the problem that nothing else in life matters because everything in life still matters. And the one thing you're going to do to nail that particular problem down, um, we have to think about, well, what else is going to happen? And so, so anger focusing us helps us, but actually it could be a liability at times. And anger energizing us also is important if you just need something to move you forward. But sometimes the energy of anger wants to move quicker than is appropriate for complex situations. So then you need to be prepared to exercise patience and do that balance of what's wise. I'm angry. So what's the right response? Because now that I'm angry, I don't want to sin. I don't want to make things worse. I don't want to do damage because that is likely to happen. Um, Tim Keller has a book uh, that I don't remember the name of. He has lots of books. It's just him and Mel Brooks. I can't keep track. They're so prolific. Uh, he has one book about forgiveness, things like that. It's not generous justice. It's a different one. It's quite good in that he... I could have answered the name of the book when I wrote this down, but this was now months ago, but there it was in my file. Uh, he says this, he says, when we get angry, we should, be, we should ask, what am I defending? If we do that, we will see how often we are defending our ego, pride, agendas, and image. I think that's a really helpful question, a reflective question. What am I defending? Because that's the issue. Anger is there because something's wrong. What am I defending? Now, what he's highlighting there is, look, there's pride, there's ego, there's my personal agenda, there's my own image. Um, but the reality is sometimes you're defending something that needs to be defended. And so anger doesn't mean don't act. Uh, the interesting thing is that, that in the complexity, sometimes you will know right away, this is me, this is my envy, this is my pride. And then so the issue is in your anger, don't act on it. <laughs> Figure out a way to work through it. And sometimes it'll be clear to you, I'm absolutely right and I need to do something and I'm gonna go do it even if I'm bringing some of the edge of my anger and that could be appropriate. The reality is life is often more complicated than that. And so the helpful opportunity with the question, what am I defending is, and so in the, the kind of example I've been given, somebody goes online, says something about you, hoping to get you fired or hoping to alienate you from that big fan base you have now that you went from three likes to 75 likes to 2000 likes, what terrible timing for somebody to go online and say something negative about you. So the question, what am I defending? On the one hand, you may say rightly, I'm defending that this person is doing something wrong. And so I need to act. But on the other hand, my experience of this wrongdoing is being clouded by the fact that I also want people to think uh, highly of me. And this person is working against that. Now, it's not fair, but if you're able to define that to say, you know what? I can't control what people think of me, and so I'm not going to waste my energy trying to defend other people's opinions of me. So I'm angry about that because I've got pride, so I'm going to let that go. But I do need to defend my reputation while it's being slandered. And so what, is, what are the steps to take there? So sometimes it's very clear. Don't act. Sometimes it's clear. Act. Most of life, you need to navigate. I need to act, but I want to do it wisely. And so I think that reflection question, what am I defending, can help you identify what really needs my time, attention, and energy? And what do I need to just let go for now? Um, the reason this is important, verse 27 now, 
says, give no opportunity to the devil. The devil is pictured in the Bible as this figure who's spiteful, who's a liar, who's a murderer. Um, Anger removed from any just context without patience, without love, without grace, without generosity, just raw anger in itself is not a good thing. And we have a picture of this figure in the Bible that, that would, would have this kind of social contagion, would come and, and uh, spread his spitefulness and bitterness to you so that you start to get clouded and uh, even the good that you do comes bundled like a Trojan horse with something that's causing a problem. Give no opportunity, make no space. If, if anger is starting to take root in your life, it's starting to shape how you're thinking, it's, it's starting to, to become what you're focusing on. With, with all that's going on, your anger is, is uh, creating the thing that you become obsessed with. Uh, you're making room in the rest of your life for temptation. That's what it's saying is don't give an opportunity to the devil. It's kind of like in a fight if you've got somebody 6'5", 250 pounds, uh, looking like they've, they've trained a lot, uh, wanting to throw a hard punch at you. You don't want that punch to land, at least if you're not 6'5", 250 pounds, and uh, trained in fighting. So judo gives an advantage to a trained person in an unfair uh, matchup where if that strong person puts all their weight on one leg to throw that punch, if you could take the leg out, you can take them down. Uh, there's this kind of judo move that if everything in your life starts to get onto that pillar of anger, if, if that's where everything, if, if it's not happening in the context of a, of a broadly uh, spiritually shaped life, that anger becomes a vulnerability source that you're knocked over very easily. No matter how strong and powerful you feel, it becomes a source of temptation. And so uh, I was reading a book on anger by a guy named Christopher Ash, and he says this. He says, slow nursed anger is a strange and terrifying beast. I begin by being angry because something I treasure is threatened or attacked, but now I treasure the anger itself. I nurse my anger, I cherish my anger, I take care that my anger will never die. And it's this odd thing that anger focuses us on the problem, that's good. But once anger starts to, to get bigger, it focuses on us on itself. It's almost, we enter this weird logic that we convince ourselves that it would be unjust to let go of the anger. We get completely trapped in it. We wind up with a, with a partial moral framework that keeps anger having its influence until it erodes everything else in your life, until it becomes clear that you start to overstep the lines. And so anger is a little bit like quicksand. I don't know if that, has anybody ever seen quicksand? I have to look up, does quicksand actually exist? But if you watch a lot of movies and TV shows, uh, quicksand all over the place. It's this, it, it, I, maybe it's a generational thing, but when I was younger, the most terrifying thing, because the nature of quicksand is once you're in it, it seems impossible to get out. So it's, you know, it's this kind of muddy kind of thing that you'll be going and uh, all of a sudden somebody starts to sink in. And look, if somebody falls in a pool of water, the way the physics works is if you move enough, uh, it will propel you forward with quicksand. The more you move, the more it sort of opens up and you sink down. So then the person in the quicksand has no way out. And how do you help that person? If you grab them, you might get pulled in. And so uh, it seems like a cheap trick for, uh, for somebody that needs to come up with a new TV show every week and is running out of ideas just to throw quicksand in. It's kind of, we need drama. We need people to get panicky. And so, so there's your quicksand. 
I'm not sure exactly how quicksand works, but, but the description matches a little bit with anger that you step into it and there you are. Um, but if you're stepping deeper, if you're starting to sink into it, it could really be hard to get out. People may want to help you out and you just, you don't want their help or in, in they're trying to help you, you're passing your anger on to them. So being angry, that's okay. You, you don't need to have a category. Uh, I'm a bad human being, or if you're a Christian, I'm a bad Christian because I feel anger. Maybe the anger is an indicator of something problematic in you. The anger is certainly an indication of something problematic, and our world is filled with problems. So being angry is not the worst thing in the world, but being angry is a very precarious place, and therefore be angry, but do not sin. Now, here's a third thing we'll look at, which is sort of a, a wise way of framing things when he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And so here, you're angry, you need to do something, or you need to think about what you're going to do or not do. Um, do not let the sun go down on your anger. That phrase reminds me of where Jesus talks about anger in Matthew 5. So in his famous Sermon on the Mount, right at the beginning of the New Testament, one of the first topics he addresses is anger. So there's a lot there if you read Matthew 5 about anger. Um, but one of the, the, the context of Jesus' teaching on anger includes a lot of teaching that implies um, if there's a problem, you should address it straightforwardly and quickly. And there's a certain simplicity to the Christian life where Jesus talks about like something like lying. There's all sorts of reasons why you could say lying is morally bad, but actually lying unnecessarily complicates your life. Trying to keep track of what you've said and didn't say and what people think is it's, the wisdom is just keep your life simple. Just say the truth and, and deal with it right there. Similarly with anger, um, there are situations where things go wrong and, and anger wants to push us to act, but fear or other things may cause us to not act. And Jesus is saying, look, if you're remembering that somebody has something against you, go quickly and apologize. If you remember that somebody did something wrong to you, be quick to forgive. Uh, it's not telling us that we um, should ignore hard situations. It's actually encouraging us to, to deal quickly with hard situations before they get worse. So do not let the sun go down on your anger. So this is not a commandment. It's not a rule. It's, it's not saying you're not allowed to go to sleep unless you fix an issue. And that could keep some of you up for several weeks at a time, uh, trying to track down the person who, who you're in conflict with. It's more of a general principle of, you know, take anger seriously. Don't, don't, don't lay there with the rumination because a strategy that most of us have for life, which is understandable, but has its problems, is keep busy. <laughs> Be distracted. The good thing in New York is fill your time with good things. If you can't fill your time with good things, just pull out your phone. Um, whatever you're anxious about, whatever you're worried about, you could, you could constantly stay engaged and distracted. But at some point, you need to lay down and sleep. At some point, there's just you. And if your only way of dealing with the issues in life is to distract yourself, uh, there's a recipe for insomnia. There's a recipe for rumination. There's a recipe for having a fear of being alone. And Jesus is calling us to the kind of life to say, well, actually, once you really enter into life with me, um, you could be yourself. You could be alone with God. And, and anger needs to be dealt with because anger will keep you from being aware of God or praying because you're focused on the problematic person rather than on the God who graciously could give you rest if you were able to put yourself in his presence. And so this do not let the sun go down is a reminder for us, we will be angry, 
And not only should we not sin, but we should try to figure out what the anger is indicating that we should do so we can do it. The problem is, of course, we are afraid or there's so many things that get us angry or there's a cumulative effect because life is busy. We go through tough seasons. There are all sorts of things, which means that no, none of us are able to fully reckon with all of our anger. Uh, and so we will be tempted to sin and anger will have a negative impact on us. And this is where Jesus is offering us not just um, a moral principle, but he's inviting us into the kind of life where anger is not central, but he is central. And so if you look at Jesus, clearly he was somebody that experienced anger. You look at, the, you know, the gospels don't, they're not written the way a modern novel is. So we don't always get the emotional insights, but there's an edge when he's interacting with the Pharisees. He's frustrated that they have all these rules that, that the people can't keep and they themselves are hypocrites. And so there's an edge when he interacts with them. I'm sure Jesus was angry with the Pharisees, but the climactic moment, his going to the cross is, is a scene filled with anger. And there's hostility, there's yelling crowds, there's mockery, there's scorn, and there's even trying to provoke him to anger. You know, he's on the cross and there's this, if you're really the son of God, prove it to us, come down from the cross and we'll believe in you. And isn't that what Jesus seems to want most is that we would believe in him? Well, hey, if that's what it's gonna take, then maybe I should come down. Or maybe in my anger, I'm gonna come down and prove to them I'm really the son of God. Well, Jesus, his first goal is not that we would believe in him, but that he would save us and give us the kind of life that then by believing in him, we receive. And so uh, something different was going on in the cross. So Jesus's anger, it, it gets angry. Jesus as, as the, the incarnation of God. So God gets angry, but you wouldn't say that anger is an attribute of God in the same way that John says God is love. You wouldn't say God is anger. God's anger seems to be a component of his love. It's because God loves, he gets angry. And so if you love someone and somebody harms that person, you will be angry. And so God is not fundamentally angry. God is fundamentally loving. And because he loves and because the world is so messy, God gets angry. The problem with humanity is we don't love in the way that God loves. And so what is the force that's to, to motivate us, to help us to see it's it should be love, but our love is weak. And so with the absence of being energized to move, it's almost like very few things will motivate us in life outside of things like greed or anger. And so if I want something so bad, I'll run after it. Or if I'm really angry, I'll get up and do something. And so in the cross, we have this picture of, of a scene that has gone really wrong of an angry mob that now condemns an innocent person unjustly. And as they're taunting him, two different things are going on. Uh, they have an anger without love, but God has an anger based in his love. And Jesus says the, the divine human being, the mediator goes to the cross to sort of be the place where our anger is fleshed out, worked out, where our unjust, corrupt, unloving hostilities are vented upon him and he receives it. But God in love, is not fine with it, but that anger is also satisfied through what Christ does. And so bearing it, he's able to forgive us. And so there's a unique picture of how God, because he is loving, is able to make things right in a truthful way, not apart from anger, but in this very hostile scene. And what we're told is uh, when you're angry, you don't need to 
punish somebody for it. And you don't need to pretend it's not there, but you have a place to bring it. You have Jesus who you can bring your anger to who will take it and he will bear that and he will help you deal with it. The instinct of anger is somebody needs to be punished. Somebody needs to hurt. Somebody needs to die. And our options are it's them or I'm just going to do nothing and eventually it's going to be me. And Christianity gives a different way forward. If somebody needs to be punished, if somebody needs to die, God provides that. So now that you have other options, you're not stuck needing to squash your anger or vent your anger. Now, Jesus has done something so you could come to him with the unjust anger and he will take it from you and heal you. You could come to him with the righteous anger you have and know that Jesus is going to the cross as preparatory. The picture of the cross is this is what Jesus has done for us now. So we do not need to fear facing the anger of God in the future. It's God's grace to say God is angry with the murder, with the lies, with the corruption. And one day there will be an end to it, but God gives us the opportunity now to turn from that whole way of life, including our anger and be transformed. And what that means is for the Christian who's suffering with anger, the answer is not just let them get away with it. The answer is don't sin in your anger. Why should we not seek vengeance? Because vengeance is inherently problematic. Romans 12 says, don't seek vengeance because vengeance is the Lord's. God loves, and therefore, if there is something you can do to make things right, do it. If there's not something you could do to make things right, don't be overcome by anger. Trust that God will make it right. God is just, but God is so filled with love that his patience makes sure that his anger is not vented the second something goes wrong. So we have the entire Old Testament scriptures with atrocious things. And in the fullness of time, Jesus comes. And that's when God, who is slow to anger, but abounding in steadfast love, will finally pull it all together. And what we're told is if we move from the old life into the new, everything gets reframed. And so that's the invitation, come into life with Christ. Are you an angry person? That's the best place to be. Do you not know what to think about anger? You'll figure it out in the context of the Christian life. But it's that, that mechanism of change. Um, <clears throat> there's a story that I, there's a guy named Brian Chapel who told a story, and I'm not sure if it's where he grew up or he told a story of where he was living at the time. Um, he lived by a, a big river that was important for the local commerce. And so therefore it was important that, um, that they kept the river clear. So shipping boats or whoever was going through uh, cruise lines, I don't know exactly what it was, was able to go through. So he said they would have this, uh, this big machine on the side that would occasionally go in and pull out sand and dump it in huge piles on the side of the river, which for kids became a fun play place because there would be these big piles of sand. And so it was a place that a lot of kids would go. Um, and while it was fun, he said there was one um, factor though, which is depending on the weather, what seemed to be on a really hot day, sometimes you have that big um, uh, pile of, of mud um, and then the outside dries very quickly because the sun is there, but, but I don't know the science behind it, but, but somehow as it's drying out from the inside, sometimes you get sort of a vacuum, you'll get a hole in the middle, but there's this sandy crust over it. So while you're walking on the top, you think it's sandy and then you actually fall through into the sand. It doesn't sound like a big deal unless you fall far enough and then the sand comes over you. So the story from, from this place is there were these two kids who had gone out to play and they didn't come home for dinner. 
And so the parents uh, started to get concerned and they, they organized some friends to go out for a search. And they went down by the river and they went up and on one of these sand piles, one of the kids was buried up to his shoulders in sand. And when they get to, went to get him, they said, where's your brother? He said, I'm standing on his shoulders. And it's that picture of, of this brother in this, in this panicky scene, lifting up his brother so that his brother might be saved at the cost of his own life. And so the brother who lived only lived because he was on the foundation of the brother who didn't. And that's the kind of picture we get where we say, uh, what is the nature of Christianity? It's we're standing solidly on the one who gave himself for us so that he would bear our anger and our hostilities and the injustice and so that we would not be overwhelmed by the death of it. And so to know the love of God transforms us so that now our anger has a context. Don't just act because you're angry, but understand the grace of Jesus Christ and how all things come to us through him. And then be angry if it happens, but don't sin. Um, deal uprightly, straightforwardly. And so uh, sort of the practical thing for you to do, what do you do with your anger? Because you know that venting it may make you feel good, but it makes others not feel good. And that will eventually come back to haunt you. Um, but we also know that just pretending it's not there and pretending you're not angry is also not good. That's a recipe for a heart attack. We need to process our anger. And there are a variety of resources in the Christian life, but, but the neglecting of prayer is something that um, keeps us stuck because then we, we get used to ruminating in our minds apart from God when we should be developing the disciplines of living our lives in the presence of God. And so when that's our ordinary pattern to draw near to God every day, to remember his grace and kindness and to bring you and the details of your life to God with your requests, with trying to think through things, what it means is in those moments when you're angry, you're cultivating a relationship where you can process your anger. Lord, um, I'm furious. <laughs> what is it that I'm defending? Show me. Lord, show me if I'm defending something that's wrong in me um, and help me to turn from it. I don't want to be that person. You are so gracious. And so if I'm exercising pride or envy or arrogance, expose it so I don't spread it to somebody else. Lord, if I'm needing to do something that I don't want to do because it has cost or because I'm afraid, um, show me the right thing to do. And by the power of your spirit, send me out with your strength to do it. And, and that conversation, as you think through it, is, is where the Spirit of God in the believer, if you believe in Christ, the Spirit of God will show you things. You'll be able to process things so that anger doesn't become this hidden source uh, constantly fueling your life, um, but it also doesn't become this thing that you just need to act on and, and, and pass on, uh, but you actually become a just and upright person, a person who loves because you know the love of God, and then out of that love, you are able to um, act uprightly. Cultivate a life of prayer. Anger, because it incites impatience, will make it hard to pray. So if you should be praying and you're having trouble praying, find two Christian friends, people of grace and truth. And, and in that gathering, pray that the Lord would reveal what should be revealed in your quiet time, but you just can't get quiet and say, Lord, through these friends, um, show me, what am I defending? Um, if there's any wrong way in me, help me to see it. Friends, correct me. 
Um, but if I need to do something, friends, help me to see what it is and hold me accountable to do it. And then your life has simplified. Um, so anger won't go away because you're a human being in this world. But anger doesn't need to be who you are. The Holy Spirit, the grace of Christ can be who you are. And then anger will just need to function within that new life. And it's going to take some learning and some practice. But that's what we as a community are meant to help each other do. Let me pray for us. Our Father, um, we're here today with all sorts of problems in our hearts, in our minds, in our circumstances. And, um, and no doubt some of us are angry. Uh, some of us are angry for good reasons. I think of this being Black History Month. Uh, lots of reasons our neighbors are angry. Um, I know the stories of people in this community and uh, Lord, there's lots of good reasons why some of us are angry. And so for those who are trying to figure out what to do, we ask for help, we ask for relief, we pray for guidance, we pray for protection, we pray for truth. Lord, every one of us is also imperfect, needing grace. And so we're here today with our pride, with our envy and our selfishness and our superficiality. And no doubt some of us are in a bad moods and grumbling um, just because we're not dealing properly with our anger. And so train us. Help us to see with clarity the grace of Jesus Christ and how he is a help and a relief. And may that really play its way out in our lives so that we are free uh, from sin in all its forms, including our own resentments. We pray that bitterness would not uh, have deep roots in any of us. And so, Lord, may this be a day of watering, a day of toiling the soil, uh, turning the soil, a, a day of renewal. And so show us that grace so that as a community, we can strengthen and encourage one another and then go back into the world as light rather than just more darkness. Uh, Lord, you are the light. So we pray for that spiritual working so that you, uh, who we follow, would get all praise and honor if you do these things in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.